0: My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. If I wanted to freshen up my vagina, I would rather have given her a piece of gum. Rachel Coda, I love that line from this amazing book you're going to hear about. You know you want to hear more about that, and you're going to. Do y'all ever stop and think how incredible the vagina is, it allows for mind-blowing pleasure, it cleans and lubricates itself, it enlarges during intercourse, and it can even push out tiny humans and bounce back and still do all these other amazing things. No matter what the shape, size, or color, vaginas are beautiful and fierce. So why are so many of us futzing with them? And the whole vulva region, we change their look or their color or their shape or their size or their smell. We may add gems. Is this a good thing? empowering risky sad neutral does it just depend welcome back to girl boner radio everyone i'm your host august mclaughlin and we are going to explore these trends a bit today with a fabulous guest whose recently released memoir touches on these topics and later in the show dr megan will chime in for a listener whose girlfriend wants vaginoplasty and he's wondering if it's safe i'll also tell you all about a fun vulva pleasuring kit from the pleasure chest and share a fun message from rachel hills who's been on the show before author of the sex myth first i'm so thrilled to welcome writer rachel kona back to the show her work has appeared in the new york times the washington post playboy penthouse maxim cosmopolitan and more her memoir are You There, Krishna? It's Me, Rachel, or Reshma, or Whatever, Essays on Talking to Ghosts, Accosting Celebrities, Getting High, Sexism, Race, and First-Generation Woes. It is so funny and also so poignant. Thank you for joining me, Rachel. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So before we dive into all things vaginas and vulvas and the things we do about them, I would love if you would share with the audience a bit about your book. Tell us kind of what it is in a nutshell.
1: So basically it's, um, stories about my life, but sort of interwoven with just thoughts on like feminism and sex and relationships and stuff like that. I spent so many years as a, just a freelance writer writing for like Playboy, um, and Penthouse and writing about sex sort of accidentally, but anyway, writing about sex and dating. And so I kind of thought, why not just put all of that together in a book and Plus, I'm a first-generation Indian-American, so that kind of adds a different spin to it because we're typically more conservative, um, and there's also just issues with being first-generation as well.
0: Yeah, and the stories and anecdotes are awesome, and I found it really insightful, too, and you really do blend in feminist kind of theory and philosophies and the things that you learned through experience and, like you said, sort of the almost the clash of cultures and uh, people's expectations. And you're so open, which I love. I'm curious, what do you recall learning first about your genitals when you were growing up? Uh, My first memory is actually when I was in, like, second grade. And my parents are,
1: you know, although they may be slightly more conservative than your typical American parent, they're very into like science. So they gave me a book about how our bodies work and there was one chapter about how babies are born and it was very clinical um, and I remember reading that in like second grade and thinking okay so that's how it's done and not really having much thought after that and then the fifth graders at my school got a hold of the book and they started like freaking out and like laughing and I didn't know what the big deal was. Um, and I saw that they were laughing at the sex chapter um, so for me, sex kind of wasn't a big deal in the clinical sense. Like, I didn't have that same feeling that everybody else had, like, oh, my God, like what is this? Because I kind of knew about it at a young age. Um, and it wasn't, again, until I was, like, maybe 12 or 13 when I sort of realized, oh, there's, like, a lot more to it. It's not just, like, sick P and V.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I love that, that it started out from science, because, you know, everybody has a story. And it seems like most of us have huge gaps in it. And it starts from somewhere like, it's either from religion or but from science is a it's actually a a refreshing perspective in a lot of ways, because it's scientific. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's really fascinating. And you talk about how you gradually became over the whole kind of fix your vagina thing but you also share the journey and some of the trials and tribulations and things you had fun with and you've done everything from waxing to a DIY vaginal steam what was the first change that you made to that area
1: um I think what probably most women I probably I not probably I was shaving um and I You know, it took me a while to realize, like, that's a thing that people do. So shaving and then waxing and then lasering um, and then, you know, all the other stuff was just kind of woven in between, like, the steams and stuff like that, which, you know, kind of more, like, done, like, for fun rather than me trying to fix anything. I was kind of just curious because when it's out there that she does it. Um, But, yeah, I'd say the first thing was, like, shaving.
0: Yeah. and It's interesting because you said, you know, you sort of realized it was a thing. And I feel like I don't remember when I realized that was a thing. But I do know that when I was growing up, there wasn't, you know, ready access to porn and stuff like that. And I wonder where people's ideas come from. But I have found that in recent years, it seems like a lot of people have the belief that there should never be any pubic hair. Have you found that to be true?
1: Yeah, it seems like that's kind of the, the consensus, although it does seem like it's kind of coming back a little bit. Um, I know here and there, like, celebrities are more, more open and talked about, like, now they're letting their hair grow back. Um So it seems like maybe it's coming back a little bit, but I think generally the consensus is, like, little to no hair uh, overall. I mean, and it's, like, a weird thing because part of me is, like, well, that's silly. You should be able to have hair wherever you want. And why are women told not to have hair? But the thing is, like, I realized I just really don't like hair anyway. Like, I don't really like it excessively on men either. So it's kind of like... And plus, I don't like it on myself. I realize like, I'm actually less itchy with it out, without the hair. So... um but I'm a big proponent in that you should do whatever you want. I don't think you should have to get rid of your hair just to have sex. Like you should, if you want a rockable bush, I think go for it. Um, but I have to admit, I I like, you know, waxing and lasering.
0: Yeah, and I I think it's really interesting what you said about. First of all, I feel that way about armpits. Like it would be way too itchy for me. And there have been times when I've thought like, Am I? I I'm with you. Whatever feels right for you. But the whole you know, is one more feminist. And I've come right. to believe exactly. that like, you know, whatever we want is. But then there's also this interesting thing about that line of empowerment. And I think about that a lot where is something really empowering if if it is something that we're doing because, like you said, maybe you feel like you have to or somebody it's this kind of like the, the diet industry or the <laughs> the beauty industry and how we see certain kinds of beauty. So I I question that a lot. And I think making informed decisions is super important and, it's awesome that you found what what you enjoy. And I found because I've been polling people on the Girl Boner Facebook page today. And people either seem to be like completely like, I don't like hair. Like, I just don't like hair. Get it away from me. I don't want it. I don't really like it on me or other people, blah, blah, blah. Or they're like, it was way too painful. I'm fine. I might groom it a little bit. Um, so I think it's always good to try different things. But I have to say, I tried, <laughs> I tried waxing once at this place called Ouch Free. Mm Waxing, like what is? It's such an oxymoron because, like, how How can you do that, right? Yeah, and uh, I should have known because as soon as I got there, the first question the the technician asked me was, "Did you take ibuprofen?" And I was like, "Um, "Ouch free, hello," and. You know, and I, it was so painful. Like it bled. I had a very bad experience. Um, So how do you, how has it been for you as far as waxing and lasering? And did you find a way to make it less painful? And do you have a preference now?
1: I actually have a pretty high pain threshold. So I'm really lucky in that sense. Like there isn't really a lot that I find painful. So, so that's good. Um, But then I ended up just switching to lasering because I just got sick of spending money on it and and having to go back all the time. And, you know, with laser, it's not 100% like gone, but it's mostly gone. And that it's just so much easier for me to just like not have to deal with it. And then shaving, you get ingrown hairs. And so, yeah, I just love laser and it's cheaper in the long run. So I'm like, you know,
0: this is great. I'm a big fan of laser. It's all my friends. So, how many sessions did you need? Or is it like you need upkeep? Well, they said, like, six,
1: but um, with certain areas, you might need some touch-ups here and there, like, because of hormones and stuff like that. And same with the underarms, they they might need some more touch-ups um, after the six because just the way your body is. Um, but I've literally done it, like, on my arms and everything because I literally have, like, if I didn't shave my arms, which I started doing at 10, I would have Robin Williams' arms. but it would be so bad.
0: So, um Yeah, I've, like, lasered everything. It's fantastic. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. So I would love to talk a little bit about douching and and then steaming. I read a really interesting statistic because – and you talk about douching as well in your book um, and the fact that the vagina is self-cleaning, you know, doesn't need cleansing. And I actually – read this study that said 40% of American women aged 15 to 44 douche routinely, but most gynecologists and and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists advise against it. And this was fascinating to me. The vaginal rinse um, that we now know as douching started gaining popularity in the 1950s when companies, including Lysol, like I found an actual ad, they were using Lysol, and it was like this impression that vaginas are dirty and smelly. And to be a good uh-huh. wife, like you have to keep it squeaky clean like a countertop. Like it was so creepy. Um, but now it's sold with, you know, if you're walking down and looking at soap and body wash, it's like you should also have a clean vagina. And you share uh, some some information about Indian culture and some rinses that were mm-hmm. popular there. Would you speak about that a little bit? I thought it was so interesting the way that it was presented.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that many people are still douching. I thought everyone knew that that's not a real thing anymore, but um, I guess not. Um, yeah, Like so in India, there's um, there's this thing. I don't remember the exact name of it, but they're, they're very into fair creams, like trying to look lighter, kind of like here we try to look more tan. There they try to look more fair. And there's one that's specifically for the vagina area, and I just, it got, a, you know, a lot of people were really pissed off about it, myself included. I just thought, oh, come on. That is too ridiculous for words. Like, you need to bleach your vagina. And I know people, I've heard from, I've actually heard this from gay friends that they're into bleaching their buttholes. I don't even really know what that's about. but yeah. um, So, I mean, I guess it could be applied to both genders. But in this case, it was just so specifically, like, about the woman. And he was, like, the husband in the commercial was, like, kind of depressed. And so was the wife, and then she tries this thing, and all of a sudden, they're, like, in love, and they're happy, and just the implication behind it that, like, you know, you can't please your husband unless you have a sparkly, beaming white <laughs> vagina is so ridiculous.
0: It really so, is.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, does any – do guys really care about that? I mean, that seems like a really minute detail.
0: Yeah. I think you're right, and I also think it's it's such a strange double standard, too, because it's not like, I mean, balls and penises have a smell and, you know, and, and what we eat affects how we smell. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I think our, it's such a beautiful, like, there's all these chemistry things that happen when we are turned on and having sex that are so personal and physical, you know, reactions to people like somebody that you're really having great sexual chemistry with part of that is taste and smell of all of it. So I, I feel like right. if it smells like coconuts or fruit, or I don't know, flowers, that's, It's just it makes me sad that it's like another way to charge women to, like you said, have this glow. Like when you describe it and in your book, too, I saw somebody with like this glowing, like neon, you know, just bright spot down there. And it's just it's unfortunate. There shouldn't be so much uh, pressure to, to it's like kind of giving the impression there's something broken.
1: Yeah, I think there's this like idea that vaginas are dirty and there's like almost this like fear of women and it's weird, and then we're kind of made to pay for it. Like, I don't get this the, this idea that vaginas are dirty, and I don't know if it's just a marketing ploy, but just like, you know, we're going to spend money on this, and they're a lot more gullible, and they're more likely to do it, and they're just playing on our weaknesses, Um and maybe the marketing industry plays on men's weaknesses differently, not in a sexual or physical way, but it definitely is absurd. I mean, vaginas are not dirty. I've yet to meet a guy who was like, oh, you know, are my balls dirty? Like, you know, I don't, I've never seen, I've never heard of a guy worrying about that or caring, if yeah. should smelled or anything. Like, right. whereas women are all like, oh my God, like, you know, is, is it okay down there? And it's like, this is for, if you're, you know, whoever you're with, chances are, if they're attracted to females, so assuming you're a woman and you're not with a gay man and you're with a straight man or uh, a gay woman, they're going to like what's down there, you know? So unless they're just like a total slob, I mean, it, it's just so ridiculous. It's like the, you have to pay money to like have pristine vaginas. It's already clean. Just use some shower gel. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Just keep it clean like the rest of your body. Yeah, it's. I read that uh, the risks of douching, because it's not just needless, it also can cause or worsen um, vaginal irritation. So if you already have an infection or you have razor burn or something, and also bacterial vaginosis, which is a common infection, STIs, pelvic inflammatory disease. And if you remedy, because one thing that happens, I guess, is people with vulvas will say, you know, I i have an infection so this is this is supposed to help cleanse it away or something but it can actually worsen those symptoms so it's if anyone's listening and they do douche i think it's important to know that first of all there's this huge marketing ploy and it's it's reasonable that you'd have you know misunderstandings or some, even some professionals might guide you in not the best way and just knowing that you can give that up and and take that money and put it somewhere else, you know, could be good. And vaginal steaming is another uh, trend. And you mentioned in your book, it's so funny, this part, when you talk about Gwynny, um, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. And so if anyone isn't familiar, I know her website, Goop, has a lot of articles about different natural therapies and stuff. And so I started hearing about this, too. And I actually wrote about it for Day Magazine. And basically, it's sitting or squatting over a bowl of hot water that's infused with these supposedly detoxifying herbs. And there are no known benefits, um, but it was interesting because Gwyneth Paltrow talked about the process turning her on, and I think I talked to a doctor about it, and he said, "Well." hot water, you know, increases blood flow and you might get air up there. Even just knowing that you're doing something to your vagina and your clitoris mm-hmm. is kind of like, ooh, 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 it's a new thing. But uh, but I love that you tried it. You're just like, I'm just going to try this. It was like a little adventure. So would you share what that experience was like?
1: Yeah, I kind of just tried it, not because it actually felt like I needed cleaning down there, but I just thought it sounded really funny. I mean, so many of the things she suggests are completely ridiculous and I subscribed to Goop 2 mostly so that I can laugh at it and um, so I just thought oh this will be funny I'll just try it and I called a spa and the spa was like expensive and I was just like I'm not spending $80 for like steam you know it's ridiculous so I just did a DIY at home and I just was like this is the dumbest thing I've ever done like it's so hot it's burning me down there there's actually no purpose for it um you know, she's relying on pseudoscience. It's not real. If you ask a gynecologist, they'll tell you it's ridiculous. And I'm like, this could be even potentially harmful. Like, I, you know, I don't think you're supposed to have steam in your delicate areas. Um And it was just terrible. And the pot was burning me. I had the pot, like, surrounded with towels, and it still was burning. The steam was so hot. It was bad. So... um I just gave up after like 10 or 15 minutes and you're supposed to stay on there longer. And I was like, no, Glennon can- and. <laughs> take this and shove it. It's
0: awful. <laughs> You're like, my vagina is fine. Yeah. It, I'm glad you stopped before it was painful. Cause I guess that's one risk, you know, could be burns and, and whatnot. And I love that you did it as an experiment. Cause I'm all, I love just trying things. And actually um, real quick, I'd love to highlight something I tried this past week from the pleasure chest and it's a vibrator. So Rachel, afterwards, I know you have a story about like everything so i'm going to ask you if you have any <laughs> vibrator stories um okay. but i tried uh the sweet spot kit which is awesome from the pleasure chest it is our toy of the month Swing. and it comes with a neat little box that has a lock on it so there's kind of this tantalizing little surprise element to it and inside it has the pico bong outie vibe which is a very small vibrator and it has 12 settings and it's body safe. It also comes with lubricant that's also body safe and this on arousal oil. The oil is awesome because it makes for more intense pleasure, but it also can be used for like massaging and stress relief, which is so important for arousal and heck for life. Um, One thing I love about this vibrator is it's really small. So you can just like toss it in your purse and take it along your way for whatever you want to do with it. It takes batteries. And I know I've mentioned before that one, of the things I still mistakenly do is I get a toy that has a um, it's rechargeable, and you're supposed to charge it for like hours before you use it. <laughs> but usually, you think of it when you want to use it, right? So, right, exactly. Yeah. So this one's cool because it does have vi- um, batteries. So that's that's a nice thing. But if anyone wants to try it, the vibrator actually can be great on all different body parts. Um, I don't know if everyone listening knows this, but nipples, including all genders, guys too are often very erogenous. So the vibe there, the vibe in the perineum um, on your clit, there's all kinds of things you can play around and do with it. And unlike the luxury vibrators that we've talked about that are also awesome, this kit sells for $50. So hop over to thepleasurechest.com or you can pick it up in LA, Chicago, or New York City. So Rachel, vibrators, what do you think? Do you have a story? Well, I feel like I
1: tried all of them. (laughs) People were just like, try this vibrator. I'm like okay, um,
0: yeah. I mean, they're they're great. Um, I'm trying to think if I have a specific story about them. Um, Do you like the vibration? I it took me a while to. I used to not like it. Like I I prefer dildos still, but I know that a lot really? of people prefer it. Yeah. Yeah, I actually don't.
1: Get, I don't get the dildo thing. I mean, if other people like it, that's great. I just never personally understood it. Yeah, I'm definitely. I definitely prefer vibrators. Um, there's been so many different incarnations. I think it's just about getting the one that has the right speed and pattern for you and the right fit and, you know, um, that just works with your body. Cause literally all of my, me and my friends have, actually have vibrator conversations and we all have different opinions on which one is good and which one sucks. And. You know, I mean, for me, there's like the one reliable one that I really like called, um, Limone. Yeah, Limon. Um, and, but for everybody, you know, it's different. But yeah, I cook for a vibrator over, um, over any, well, not anything else, like not a man, but over any other type of toy. I just feel like it really, it hits the spot.
0: Yeah, so, I've, I've definitely gained affection for them. And I also, I like the ones that have different speeds and, um, you know, reach different places. And and like you said, we are also different. And that's a beautiful thing. And I know there's a trend now about um, or surrounding plasty and labiaplasty. And one thing that strikes me about it, and again, I feel like whatever you want to do with your body, it's your body. And empowerment is all about, you know, making your own choices. And, and so is feminism. Like we should be able to be in control of our bodies. One thing that makes me nervous, though, and I have concerns about is there's, a big um, trend of cosmetic vaginoplasty in really young women and, and and girls even, and that concerns me just because I know we all look and feel so different. And I, I, you know, if if somebody feels like that is the thing they need to do, then I think it's something definitely con- to consider. But I wonder if you have thoughts on that. Yeah,
1: that's like something I don't really. Like, understand. I mean, I know what it's for to tighten it up. And I'm like, okay, if you've had like five kids, maybe it doesn't bounce back into shape and maybe then you would want it. But the idea that young girls want it to I me mean, is a little disturbing because as a young woman, you should be pretty good to go. I mean, I don't see what the necessity would be to have it, um, outside of, or if you just had a really like traumatic both experience. I just don't see what the necessity is. And then it makes me think like, that's the kind of thing that makes me think, okay, women are only doing it to please men. Like something else that, you know, getting rid of body hair, you know, could be, you're doing it for yourself. Like I I started shaving my arms, like I said earlier, when I was 10, at that point I didn't like boys. I just knew I didn't like hair. So that was for me. But something like that just makes me think it's just all about the guy. Because, isn't your vagina okay already? I mean, how how much help could it really need in that department as far as, like, needing tightening or reconstruction, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a little disturbing,
0: yeah. to be honest. Yeah, it concerns me. It does. And I, I uh, don't remember, again, seeing much as far as – because obviously they're either going for a certain look or they've gotten the impression that, like you said, guys really want a specific kind of tightness. Or there's the whole – sort of, you know, glorification of being a virgin, you know, and it's yeah. like
1: yeah.
0: to try to re-virginize somebody, like I've heard that term used and there's even, you know, creams that can, you can put on, they're supposed to tighten you up. So that's just, ugh. again, it's like, there isn't something like that for a guy, you know, it's like, I want to conquer the virgin or something that, that frightens me. And I know that, uh, in India, like you said, there can be mm-hmm. more, um, uh, conservatism around this but also do they also prize uh women being virgins.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean it's definitely if you're not like a virgin. I mean I should maybe rephrase it. Maybe in the cities, um, in today's modern age, maybe it's a little more liberal. Certainly in Bollywood movies they show people sleeping together, whereas before they didn't. Um but overall I say, yeah, if you're not a virgin when you get married, that's a bad thing, so people definitely want to make sure everything is, like, tight and intact. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I think, I know I read something about women in China actually put in fake hymens to make it seem like they're virgins, and, and other countries, too. It's not just China. Um, so that the men won't know. But uh, in the case of the U.S., the Western world, it's just, I don't know, I just find it really disturbing and part of it I think is and this is just my own theory I feel like women at a young age are not really in touch with their sexuality I mean we expect boys to like jerk off in the bathroom into like tissue and it's funny like you know there's always like um what was that scene the scene from like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and like there's all these movies where it's like you know it's kind of like an accepted thing boys do that and boys will be boys but you don't really see um, young girls doing that. And it's not really something that's talked about. It's some kind of taboo. And, you know, it's not something that parents talk with their children about. So I don't, I think a lot of sex for young women is about how to please a guy. It's not necessarily like, well, what am I getting out of this? And how can I derive pleasure? And I think that's scary for a lot of people to even, like, approach with their young girls. But... In some ways, I kind of think like, but wouldn't that be healthier? Because then it becomes less about pleasing the boy and then less about doing all these sorts of things that are really for somebody else.
0: Yes. I so beautifully said. I agree. I think it's so important that we know our bodies and to know our capacity for pleasure. And like you said, it's it's the whole boys will be boys, which you know, is so, it hurts all of us. It hurts boys too. And, right. you know, to give that freedom and it would be such an amazing thing if they taught masturbation or at least, you know, mentioned it, it like, but I was in sex ed and I know people who have gone through sex ed more recently too and are like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't learn about that. You know, it's, it's just, and it's the most common form of sexuality. It's the first kind. Most people have any sort of activity and, and and, uh, and like you said, it becomes, you know, because when we learn about sexuality, we're learning about it um, when we're going through adolescence typically. And we have all these hormones and we're having crushes. So, of course, it's all, like, pointed that way. And also, our genitals are not, like, staring up at us and we can't just, like, yeah. easily, you know, grab the whole thing. So I think it's so important uh, to, to, yeah, I'm with you. But, of course, there's so many challenges in that way. And I think parents, too, they didn't learn much about Sex and sexuality. So, how do they know what to say? And uh, did your parents ever talk to you about their own sex education?
1: Oh God, no. They definitely did not. I mean, I got the strictly like scientific explanation for everything. I mean, you know, I learned about periods at a young age. I learned about, like I said, the book um, how babies are born. So I learned about at a young age. But as far as outside of that, like, like one's own sexuality, I definitely did not learn about that. That was something. I had to figure out on my own and, um, actually was a source of conflict, I feel like growing up because, um, on the one hand, um, particularly, I, I don't know if it's cultural or maybe just like my family, um, but there's an emphasis on looking pretty. So, um, well, I guess it is cultural. If you look at like Bollywood movies, all the women are like ridiculously hot, like all the time and here in Hollywood too. Um, But in India, it's even more exaggerated. Like, you literally will not see a woman that's, like, less than, like, stunning. Like, you won't even see, like, an average woman on screen. It's so rare. Um, So there's, like, an emphasis on appearance. So, you know, my mom, in particular, wanted me to look a certain way and um, put me in pageants and things like that. But the flip side of that is that if you do all of that and you dress up and you have the heels and the makeup and the hair – you're going to attract attention. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. But she didn't really like that. She would kind of flip out on me when I would get attention, even just like catcalling or things like that, and as though it was my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like a weird message to get, which is like, look pretty, but don't look sexual. And if you get sexual attention, it's kind of your fault. So it's like, what? I'm like, what mm-hmm. What does that even mean? There's just so many mixed messages going on at the same time. You know, and I can't control what other people are going to say um, about me towards me or, you know, et cetera.
0: Yeah, completely. And I loved when you talked about the pageant and you said that it dawned on you that your mom was fine with you being judged by a bunch of old men to win a trophy. But in real life at that time, you couldn't even date. So that's a pretty strong mixed message. Did that hit you at that time, how confusing that was?
1: It, it took me like it didn't dawn exactly at that moment, but maybe like a little bit after um, where, and that's, I think when I really started kind of rebelling against my parents, because um, that was kind of the final straw. It was like when I had a moment to like sit when I was back at home and go, wait a minute, like this is really like messed up, you know, but yeah, it was, she was okay. And there was, with me wearing a swimsuit in front of these like older men and being judged by it, by them and given a score. But, yeah, not with dating. And it infuriated me because, you know, basically it was taking away my own empowerment and my own agency over my body and my appearance and basically saying that my appearance is really only for other people. And it's really only for other people as long as it's not sexual. Like, as long as it's, like, uh, this clinical thing. I mean, it literally made me, like, want to pull my hair out. So I'm like okay, so I have no part of this, right? So I can't enjoy the fact that I look a certain way and a cute boy like me. I can't enjoy that, but I have to be okay with being judged on a stage. Like, that made me so angry when I had time to think about it, like after the pageant was over. I was just like, yeah, screw this. I was like, (laughs) I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to date you never and you can just kiss my ass because that doesn't make any sense. And... It's funny because she's kind of done a, not kind of, she's totally done a 180, and now she's like totally in agreement with me on a lot of these things. But I think coming from where she was coming from, she didn't really see the conflict in it at the time. Like, you know, she, because a judge can't impregnate you, you know, I mean, I guess theoretically he could, but, you know, a cute boy that, like, you know, lives down the street, you could date and then you could get in trouble and you could get pregnant or you get a disease or, you know, being on a stage doesn't have all of those um, consequences, so it's quote-unquote safer that way, so you can be kind of like a trophy and be pretty, but it's in a safe way, and so I realized that later as an adult, like, oh, well, that's where she was coming from. Yeah. But, um, it's just, I mean, it's so ridiculous, and we do it to women today, you know, still, so even in this country as well, we do things like that where we say, it's okay, it's great to be pretty, in fact, you should be pretty, but the moment you kind of try to own your sexuality a little bit, it's like, oh,
0: no, you're yeah. a whore. Doesn't that? Yeah. It's crazy. And I think you're so right about internalizing those messages. Even, you know, when you were a young girl and obviously highly intelligent to figure things out, you know, shortly after that and to rebel, but also and your mom internalizing it, I feel like it's so normalized and we don't even realize and it's normalized for guys too. So they learn this stuff and they learn that being macho is to sexualize the woman, but not give her agency over it. I mean, it's, it's really messed up for all of us. And I think it's, that's why one reason that stories like yours are, are super important. And I, I was going to ask you about how your parents feel about your, your work now. It's interesting. So you said your mom has done a big one eighty. Do you have a lot of conversations? Does she, has she read your book?
1: Oh, um, well, when it comes to sexual stuff, it's definitely like a don't ask, don't tell policy. I don't think, like, <laughs> my parents are and my dad, I don't even go there. I mean, I don't think they're really ready to, like, know about that. I mean, they, they know I'm, you know, not a virgin. Um, But that's, we talk about everything except for that. I just think that's one of those, like, TMI things. Like, I don't want to know what's going on with them in that department either. And so I think it's... You know, it's kind of the same with me, but you know, they've accepted it. I don't, I can't say that they necessarily agree with exposing it for the role to read in that sense. Um, but they're also like, you know what? It's, you're still our daughter and it is what it is and we accept it. Um, and also the other thing is like, I also make greeting cards for a living. And so, a lot of the cards are, like, a little bit over the top and, you know, sexual in nature. Um, like, I have one that says, thanks for having a big dick. And, like, basically <laughs> like, so People love it. And, like, um, you know, my parents saw it. And they I was like, crap there. And, like, people were laughing hysterically and, like, dying. It's, like, buying the cards. So I think that a, a little bit of them, is, they become more accepting because, I hate to say this, but they've seen the social response. And they've seen that people... Particularly, you know, in America, don't have an issue and think it's pretty funny. Um, so they're, that's made them even more accepting in, in that way.
0: Yeah. Does that make sense? it? Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And I, I'm sure they're super proud of you, and I love that they've. You know, come a long way as well, and I'm sure you're having a positive impact on so many people because of your your work and your outspokenness. One thing I didn't ask you about was bedazzling. Anyone who doesn't know that it's basically like adding gemstones to to that area, and it only, I guess, lasts for like four or five days or something. Um, but how do you feel about that? Just kind of decorating the joints? <laughs>
1: um, is that like a, is that like a '90s thing? I feel like I feel like that was like. Yeah, I feel, I feel like I saw that, like, in an old episode of Sex and City, where they tried to be bedazzle or something. Um, I don't. I mean, yeah, that just seems like a weird area to bedazzle. And also, then it would be, like, bumpy, right? So then, like, that seems weird to me. Like, if you were having sex, or somebody's going down on you, and then there's, like, these little rhinestones there, that just seems, <laughs> like, odd. I'm like, I don't know if I would really enjoy that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to say no on bedazzling, but... You know, I'm always like, you want to do it, go right ahead. Oh, yeah. totally.
0: Yeah. Like, who's that hurting? It might be a funny surprise or who knows? Maybe I think even just the idea of doing something different to surprise a partner is cool. But like you said, it also, you have to know your partner because they might be like, oh, my God, what, what did you put down there? Um, <laughs> yeah. But I didn't realize it came out in the 90s. I know Jennifer Love Hewitt talked on some on I think the George Lopez show a couple of years ago about she had done it it's she called it vajazzling and she said mm-hmm. it made her precious lady shine like a disco ball so she was suggesting it and saying that it was great but a hundred dollars for just a few days so it's not really something that you know you'd want to do super frequently uh, you know unless you loved it I don't I have no idea what that must feel like I could see it being cool for a photo shoot like I love vulva art <laughs> you know
1: yeah, it would make for a great photo shoot like if you're trying to be like semi nude and but still trying to cover up you know the pieces the bits and pieces that could be cool yeah um, but also it seems like it'll be painful to take off like all those they're, they must be sticky so then you have to peel all this sticky stuff off your the JJ yeah that's like, a good point like I'm like oh I don't know about that
0: yes I'm not I love to be low maintenance so it's like if I had to go in and get them taken out and the whole it's yeah a lot of time but you know to each their own for sure uh you bring up a theme that I think is so important uh that we have touched on a little bit today but I'd love to hear any more thoughts you have on you know whether we can call ourselves feminists and being okay with being objectified how do you feel about that
1: yeah that's like I think an interesting like idea slash concept because there's so many Feminists can be so... Um, well, there's different schools of thought with feminism. And some people are more like the Beyonce style of feminism. And then there's other ones that are more Gloria Simon and everything in between where you have to be this, like, super militant, you know, feminist. And I'm just like, well, I mean, feminism to me is just, like, I just want to have, like, in a, in a social realm, like, equal pay. You know, I want to be treated as someone who's intelligent, I don't want you to think that just because I wear lipstick, I'm not smart, like, so I wanted to be treated like an equal and like I'm intelligent and, you know, know that I have my, like my own thoughts and my own agency over my body and my life decisions um, and, you know, my life doesn't necessarily depend on what a significant other is doing. So in that sense, I feel like I'm a feminist, but then there are other things like, if a man objectifies me, it depends on the sense. Um, yeah, I mean, men are always going to think women are beautiful and they're also going to be visual creatures. So I think to say like, oh, I don't like it if a man finds me attractive uh, or, you know, I, I, that would be weird. I mean, if you look at the gay community, which is men and other men, They objectify each other all the time, and that kind of makes me go, well, see, this is kind of biological. And as long as, like, no one's being offensive, like, you know, I walked down the street the other day, and the guy was like, good morning, beautiful, like, that's not offensive. But if a guy comes up to me and says, I want to grab your you-know-what, that's offensive. So I guess it depends on your idea of objectification, but I think if a guy is just appreciating a woman for being beautiful, or a guy looks at a woman and goes, wow, she's hot, like, I don't see how that's a bad thing. I mean, we're meant to be attracted to each other. So, and it's not like I don't look at guys and go, wow, he's hot. Or like, wow, look at that bicep. I mean, yeah. I don't say that very often. But anyway, I'm like, oh, my God, he's like in really good shape. I mean, does that make me a bad person? I, I like men, you know. So right. I think it's, I don't have a problem with it. Um, you know, I don't have a problem with men. It's like, oh, you're pretty. I'm like, great, thank you. I'll take it you know?
0: Yeah. And I think it really does. So much of it comes down to what is comfortable for you, because, you know, we have the right to say, hey, that is not how I want to be spoken to. But it's also interesting because, you know, the whole idea of objectification, it's like attraction is normal, you know, seeing beauty and recognizing it is normal and healthy and ingrained in us. And at the same time, we're also taught that certain things are supposed to be sexy. And so it gets into that complicated area of like, empowerment that is like, is it brainwashing or is it just inherent? And, but I, it gets so twisty and I, but I'm with you. I think it's, it's all about how, you know, what we're comfortable with. And, and I don't think that being attracted to people is anything but natural.
1: Right. Exactly. It actually reminds me of a funny, like random incident that I had. I was visiting a friend in Denmark and Canadians are definitely more um, straight-laced, I guess you would say. They're not like. Let's say I live in France, and literally, like, I just come up to you on the street, and they're just like, You're beautiful. And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, Okay, French people. But um, in Scandinavia, they're not like that. And <laughs> yeah. A friend was Danish, uh, we were in a grocery store, and this guy was just like gorgeous, and we we're both like staring at him. And she was just like, God, like, I just, she was so frustrated. She's like, Men here just don't come up to you. She's like, They just don't. And she was, and she had just visited me in the States and was just saying how refreshing it was that men actually will come up and hit on you. And they just don't do that in Denmark. And I thought it was really interesting because she's so Danish and <laughs> so like left wing and feminist and like I, the whole nine yards. Like he actually used to even be communist until like high school. So very left wing, very feminist. And so it was just like, man, I wish this guy would just hit on me, you know, Like so <laughs> it's, it's biological. Like no matter, you know, what your beliefs are. I mean, yeah, I want I want to be hit on.
0: And if it was the same sex, if I was a lesbian, I want girls checking me out. Like, I want to be like, all right, she thought I was hot. So that's yeah. so funny, because I'm Scandinavian, but from Minnesota. And when I moved to New York, at first, I was totally flattered by all these guys like yelling and shouting and saying these strange things to me. I was like, wow, I because we're also taught that, you know, <laughs> that means we're valuable. You know, like if people think we're hot, then were valuable and I was I was like, you know, and then after a while I started to realize that some sometimes it was offensive to me and and feeling like mm-hmm. I have to be nice to them anyway and like, you know, there's that whole weird thing and and our cultural background makes such a huge difference because then when I was in Europe, I was like, wow, they propose marriage to you instead of hooting and screaming and showing you <laughs> their penis and anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah forms. Totally, totally, yeah, we could go on and on about that, it's so fascinating um, I would love to hear what you most hope people get from your book
1: um, Well, I hope they get a good laugh um, I hope, you know, they take it in the spirit that it's written, which is like, you know, I'm not it's just not rocket science, I'm not trying to solve um, the Arab-Israeli conflict, it's just like, a simple book, we're just talking about like modern day stuff and like feminism and um, periods and stuff and just have a laugh and hopefully maybe like think about some things especially if you come from a different culture or maybe you've just been doing or thinking the same way for a long time maybe think a little bit differently like oh wait a minute why do we do that or wait a minute is that sexist but I just didn't know it Um but yeah just like you know have a good speech treat and have a giggle and think a little bit and yeah that's, that's about it
0: Awesome. And I know people will get that. I certainly have gotten it. It's such a fun read. And remind us where people can learn met- more about you and also um, purchase the book.
1: Um, so there's my website, which is just com,
0: And then the book is on Amazon.
1: So you can get there.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. So much fun. Thanks again, Rachel. I hope you all check out her website and her book. Her last name, by the way, has an H-K-H-O-N-A. We have a fabulous question from a listener named Jeffrey today for Dr. Megan. Jeffrey wrote this, my girlfriend wants to get vaginoplasty to make her vagina more tight. We're both 20-something and don't have kids, so it's not like she's stretched out or anything. I told her I love her body the way it is and I'm worried about the risks, but also respect that it's her body and decision. Can you tell us if it's actually helpful and any dangers we should think about? Thank you, Jeffrey. Thanks for that question, Jeffrey. Here is what Dr. Megan had to say.
2: Jeffrey. Thanks so much for asking this question, and I'm sure you're going to share it with your girlfriend, and I know that so many others were are going to benefit uh, from this information, uh, because vaginoplasty is, you know, it's a surgery, and it's an elective one, and anytime we're considering a surgery that's elective, we really want to do our due diligence. Um, so I'm not sure if you're aware but vaginal plasty originally was developed as sort of reconstructive surgeries to repair birth defects um when the vagina was either malformed or too short or absent and you know these procedures were developed so that a girl could grow up to have sort of a normal uh period intercourse and normal normal urination uh but more recently we've seen a lot um in the press about vaginal plasty, and it's grown into sort of a group of cosmetic surgeries, um, sort of marketed as vaginal rejuvenation or designer vagina procedures. And it's important to note that the uh, ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecology, uh, had released a report where they're saying there are no. Uh, studies or scientific evidence that in any way supports the efficacy of these procedures. Um, And they also included G-spot stimulation in those procedures. And also that the World Health Organization, sort of the premier uh, world organization, describes any medically unnecessary surgery to the vagina, tissue, and organs as female genital mutilation. So, you know, I want your girlfriend to really take a deep breath and think about how or why she feels she's... um, interest in this procedure. You know, she sort of mentions that she's not feeling or she'd like to feel more tight. Um, And I'm not sure whether or not she's considered and certainly worked to do Kegel exercises. And there are even certain weights that can be inserted in the vagina that can be used with the Kegel exercises that can help strengthen and tone the vaginal wall. Um, Certainly exploring all non-medical options. and. because most of these procedures typically are considered by women who have become slack or loose because of having given birth or sort of uh, aging and the side effects of menopause. So it is striking that in your 20s, how or why is she so personally distressed? And that's what it sounds like to consider surgery. She's personally distressed to consider a surgery. And The reason that uh, I'm so glad you asked this question is because we often are sort of rolling the camera forward and thinking about the best case scenario and the best outcome, but surgery is surgery. And so some of those side effects and complications can be um, scar tissue and adhesions, um, which can make sex uh, itself painful. There also could be nerve damage, which could lead to loss of pleasure or sensation. Uh, you know, there's been reports of incontinence, bleeding, hematoma, infections. They're really, um, although in some ways, based on the numbers, uh, lower probability events, they're real events. And there are adverse events that can happen in any uh, surgical procedure. And so, you know, it seems like, again, she's focusing on the tightness and is not thinking about, in a sense, labiaplasty, labiaplasty or concern that, uh, you know, some women have. Uh, you know, vulvas come in all shapes and sizes and labia, and so some women are looking for more of that cosmetic aspects. Uh, and again, the complications and um, recommendations are the same. And you know, hopefully that information helps you both uh, really take a look at how or why she feels that that would be needed, and certainly ruling out and looking at all non-medical options, knowing that, you know, in time, if she wants to, you know, have children, um, You know, there is, you know, there may be an episiotomy, and they have sort of the husband stitch, and there's other options that might make more sense later in life, Um, but for her to really weigh what the risk benefits are for her now, um, and no matter what you both are deciding, that you're really seeking a qualified professional, somebody who does these procedures regularly, uh, ideally on a weekly, if not a monthly basis, because, There, you know, has been a lot of marketing and promotion about these kinds of procedures and people who have sort of expanded their practices, but may not necessarily have the specific skills and training. Um, so I hope I've answered your question. And I just want you both to think long and hard about any elective surgery because there are, um, consequences and risks that, you know, oftentimes you're not anticipating and, Again, what is it she imagines it would be like or feel like if, quote, unquote, her vagina was tighter? Um, because, again, I think that there's certainly the role of Kegels and other non-surgical options that might give her, uh, again, more sensation and more pleasure. So as always, let me know if this information has been helpful and let me know how that conversation goes.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Such wonderful advice as always. And I so appreciate your thoughtfulness, Jeffrey, and that you respect... Uh, your girlfriend's decision to, to do as she wishes and you're also looking out for her safety and well-being. Dr. Megan and I also uh, chatted briefly about the fact that it could have to do with body image. So if your girlfriend is uh, struggling with body dysmorphia or has other um, areas of her body that she perhaps becomes fixated on, uh, which is super common and and often can be helped through um, therapy and, and other forms of um, you know, self-improvements and stuff like that. And then there are also medical reasons for these procedures, I should mention. So, for example, I read that some women decide to get labiaplasty because uh, their vaginal lips, like the outer ones, the labia, tend to um, maybe one's extremely large from an injury or from a a birth defect, and so they can't comfortably wear a bathing suit, that kind of thing. So again, it's looking at all the different factors and then making an informed decision. Thank you again. If you all have questions, any of you, please reach out uh, to myself or to Dr. Megan on social media or our websites. Dr. Megan can be found at greatlifegreatsex.com. I'm at augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. Dr. Megan is also speaking at the Whole Woman Summit, which starts on 3:27 coming up here. It's all about things that matter to women, including mind, body, spirit, work, relationships, her specialty, and justice. And there are a whole bunch of amazing speakers, including Dr. Megan. And she got y'all a discount. How awesome is that? So Girl Boner listeners can get $20 off registration. WWS 17 Girl. So go to the click registration, and then when you do register, if you're interested, enter the code WWS, that's Whole Woman Summit 17 for 2017, Girl for Girl Boner. Last but far from least, I'm happy to share with you all a special message from Rachel Hills, who you may recall from our chat back in November 2015. Her awesome book is coming to the stage, no pun intended.
3: Hi, I'm Rachel Hills. I'm the author of a book called The Sex Myth and the producer of The Sex Myth, A Devised Play. My team and I are working to create an international movement of radical, inclusive, and critically engaged conversations about sex. But to do that, we need your help. The Sex Myth, A Devised Play showcases real people telling real stories about sex, and about the toxic stigmas and stereotypes that limit the ways we feel allowed to engage with it. In other words, all the things that listeners to Girlbona Radio really care about. The play is a tool for eye-opening activism, and a provocative performance piece all in one. Think the vagina monologues, but modern, mixed gender, and rewritten each time it's performed by a new cast. We're using the social justice crowdfunding platform Start Some Good, to fund the first major production of the play in New York City this summer, as well as to support our team to spread the project to 20 communities around the globe by mid-2018. We've had a huge amount of enthusiasm and support for the work that we're doing, but the project is only going to be able to go ahead if everyone who believes in it contributes. So, if the sex myth, the devised play, sounds like the kind of thing you'd like to see in the world, please visit www.thesexmyth.com to learn more and support our work. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of all this show.
0: Thank you, Rachel. I am cheering for you big time, and I hope the campaign. And the show is a huge success because selfishly, I want to see it. And I also really believe in your message and the work you do. So thank you for that, everyone. I hope you will go and check it out. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes if you haven't and leave us a simple review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.